For the Tim, would you share with me what you sent me? Yes, sir. Stand up so everybody can hear you, please. It was, I uh, lose track of days these days, but <laughs> a few days ago, two nights ago, two nights ago um, I was up praying, and for a few days I felt a real a weighty sense on my heart, and I couldn't quite articulate it, but that night I felt I was praying for the covering of the church and feeling really the potential of deception that's loose in the world right now and just the power of the dynamics that have been loosed it's like there was ever a time for being deceived it's now it's, it's a feeling i had and i felt the burden of god fall on me and i i sat down and just started speaking in tongues to the best of my knowledge it was prophecy in tongues i don't know there's nobody else there but it was completely uncontrollable i was in a totally different dimension and when it when it stopped i could audibly hear a clock ticking but it was a little rushed and there was an agitated feeling just and I said, God what is this and I, I thought maybe just imagining it you know the mind starts kicking in but it was definitely there whether it was there audibly to my ears or in the dimension I was in I don't know but as I began to feel this burden come over me God started speaking to me really what I had already been praying about on some level that the deception the only way we're gonna escape the the pull of the world, the pull of the dynamics that are loose in the world is through an active faith, an active obedience to God and seeing clearly the steps that we have to take to stay in pace with his will. And I just felt like for myself and for my generation, it's like I recognize a, a, a tendency even in this current crisis and such to start looking and saying, OK, well, I need to get this in order and I'll maybe look at some stats and see what the economy is going to do and you start just kind of calculating and assessing and risk assessing maybe I'll get lucky if I do this but again I felt like God's saying that mentality is going to equal alienation from the purpose and forward momentum of the kingdom of God there's only one thing that's going to suffice and that is an active faith and one thing I left out is I I felt myself start praying God give me uh, a dynamic faith not a static faith and I felt like God spoke to me to look up that word static. Could I read the definition? It says, lacking in movement, action, or change, especially in a way viewed as undesirable or uninteresting. Of a process of variable, not able to be changed during a set period of time. For example, while a program is running. Concerned with bodies at rest or forces in equilibrium, acting as weight, but not moving. And I just felt you know, in order for the kingdom of God to stay ahead of the, the dynamics that I'm talking about, it's going to take all of us pulling our part, doing our, doing our part, and not bluffing a life in the spirit. Not going through the motions and appearing to do the right things, but really having an active faith that is motivated and energized by the anointing of the spirit. Nothing else is going to work for my life. I feel a conviction, and for my generation too, I felt God speak to me a few weeks ago. I'll just end with this, that the body of Christ, I was praying about, God, how are we going to get to the point that we need to? How are we going to gain the traction? And he spoke to me, the church is supposed to be an army, not a life support system. And I just felt, God, I don't want to be just plugged into it and deriving my life from the abundance or from other people's sacrifice, but to be an army where we're all apart and we're not just a metastasizing growth that's slowing down. The body and i felt a promise in all this as well but i did feel a burden on my heart and all that Amen. 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 Thank you.
Brother Gabe, Brother Tim, one of the things that God spoke to him was that we cannot bluff a life in the Spirit. Does that resonate with you? Yes, sir. What does it bring to mind? Several conversations we've had. I've, going back how long? When was the first? Six months, maybe more. Probably six months ago was the first conversation I had with Brother Gabe. And I used that exact phrase and we've had multiple other ones. I spoke with Brother Dennis about that last week. Those are the very words. The one person I didn't speak to about it was you. But actually, I did talk about it in the, in the venue meeting that we had last. If you remember, I talked about love, but I talked about bluffing in the spirit. What do you feel like that means? What does it mean to bluff a life in the spirit? I want to give, get some definitions out here. That's fair. That's a little bit, to me, a hypocrite means that you're actually one thing and you're pretending to be something else. And that's, that's a fair definition for this, but maybe there's a slightly more nuanced. To uh, mime or, or replicate in the flesh uh, the appearances of spirituality that you see in others. Uh, Amen. He said to mime or replicate in the flesh the appearances of spirituality that you see in others. Is anybody else? I think it is that replicating and avoiding the vulnerability of truly obeying in yeah. faith. Yeah, amen. What God might speak to you to do. Amen. So let me, um, let me, let's, let's try to define this a little bit more precisely. Let's say, imagine that everybody here has a 15, 16, 17 year old boy who's giving you a lot of trouble. And you've got to go and deliver a word from God to that boy. In that circumstance, what would bluffing look like? Bluffing a life in the spirit, what would that look like? Is it fair to say that you would have the spiritual tone, you would have the spiritual motions and intonation and trappings, trimmings and garb, but you wouldn't actually have something from God? Where does the term come from that he's, he's bluffing? Where does that come from? Cards. Poker, right? Yeah. Where you're pretending that you've got something that you don't actually have. So it's pretending power. It's pretending substance that you lack. Is that a fair definition? Yes, so let's say the Lord's called you to go speak his word in a group setting to somebody. Let's say the Lord's called you to give a teaching. I've given lots of teachings in various settings, some of them hostile and some of them less hostile. What would bluffing look like in that situation? You know, I just, I just think of how many times uh, you, can, you can regurgitate spiritual wisdom. And you, it, it, it's not that it wasn't true and it's not that it isn't true, but it is not the word of God for that circumstance. So you regurgitate it, and it even rings a bell of truth in people's hearts, but it's not the word for that circumstance. And Amen. It's one of the most destructive things. Amen. Can you think of any scary, super scary story in the book of Acts where some folks tried to bluff their way through it? Sons of Sceva. The sons of Sceva. 
What happened there? They started driving out demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preached. They started driving out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preached. And what did the demons say? They called their bluff. Would you agree? Yes. What did the demons say? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And they ripped all their clothes off and sent them packing. It's a pretty embarrassing moment, right? So that's like the perfect example from the Bible of bluffing. I think God's trying to speak something to us about this. I think that we don't understand what it's really going to take for us to become a son in the place God's called us. And we're scared of what it might take. And so we, we try to bluff our way through it and just hope that the chips fall in our favor, to use another poker term. Amen? It's not going to work, folks. It's not going to work. There is a substance. There is a reality from God, from His Spirit, that has to burn inside of your heart. You have to actually get something. You've got to have something in your hand before you ever step up to play the game. You have got to have received something from God before you ever make your claim or else you're going to be made a fool. You are going to go out like the sons of Sceva. And I believe that, especially in this day in which we live, I believe that you can no longer bluff. It is going to take a walk in the Spirit. It is going to take a life in God. <laughs> like God was speaking through this vision or encounter that Brother Tim had. That was the Lord speaking. I felt the conviction of God when He shared it with me. You cannot bluff a life in the Spirit. You've got to have something of substance. And you're not going to be able to get something from God unless you believe that you can and you will get something. Those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder. He's out there and He will show up if I diligently seek Him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You've got to come with that conviction. You can't come to try it out. You can't come to dabble. You've got to set your face to hear from God. Remember what the angel told Daniel, from the day you set your heart to hear from God, I was coming, but I was prevented or delayed by the prince of Persia. There's something that comes inside of you where you say, God, I've got to hear your voice. I've tried this and I've tried that and I think this and I wonder about that and I'm afraid of this and I'm confident in that, but God, I've got to hear your voice. I've got to hear you speak to me. And it took some time because that angel that was bringing the answer, the message of answer to Daniel, he had to work through principalities. And there are principalities in America, in Western culture and in all the world 
that represent barriers to spiritual messages breaking into your heart. Some of those things are coming from you. The Lord has to work through them. Sometimes you have to work through them. But you've got to get to this place where you say, God, I'm going to seek your face until. Now, I believe that there is, there are different levels in our walk with God. My dad has talked about three levels of relationship or discipleship. He's, he's talked about how Jesus said, you were slaves and then you were friends, but now you are brothers, amen, to his disciples, representing various levels of knowledge, engagement, relationship, trust, etc., etc. And so there are different levels. There's this first level when someone is coming to conversion, they're coming to repentance, they're giving their life to God. Jesus is becoming the Lord of their life. So there is the crisis that brings you, that gives you birth in Christ, right? And then there is the crisis that births you into your place of responsibility in Christ. You follow? And then there is the crisis whereby you engage with God in birthing others into Christ and into their place of responsibility in Christ. Think for just a second on those three levels. The pressure that gives you birth, the pressure that gives you your place, the pressure that becomes your burden of service for others. Amen. To give them birth, right? Thank you, Jesus. So we see it in Paul's life. First, he was kicking against the goats. There, were, there was a pressure in his life. Would you agree? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the goads. He was, there were goads in his life. There were little pressures from God. Go this way, go that way. Turn to the left, turn to the right. And he was kicking against them. He didn't like them. He was rebelling. But then he came to that, oh, that surrender. And he was converted. But then there was the message that came to him that brought him into his ministry. Amen. And then there was the time when he said, I am in birth pains again until Christ be formed in you, in somebody else. Hallelujah. Amen. So these stages should feel uncomfortable for us because birth is uncomfortable. It's a miracle. Every time I've seen birth, I am blown away that any child ever survives. Do you all feel the same way who have seen birth? I mean... It's like, that is unbelievable. How can that anything survive that process? It's miraculous. Amen. Birth is not fun. Birth should not be expected. We should not expect that birth should be fun. It is agonizing. It is bending and compressing and squeezing and pressing and it is bloody and messy and it takes you right to the door of death itself. And so for those who, who are about to be born into the kingdom, we often say things like when they start to become the most rebellious, you say, oh, I think they're, they're, they're on the edge. They're either going to totally lose out or they're going to come through finally. Amen. It might indicate 
that the pressure is working and that something is going to come out of this and that the story's not over. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We might run off in the wrong direction right before we set our course and headed the right direction. But the same can be true of the second phase. Thank you, Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on in, in our conversation tonight. Every one of us, we are trying to come into that second phase. We're trying to give birth to a calling, to a ministry, to what we were made to do and be as a son. My dad refers to this stage as sun placing. It's the term, it's a translation, that's a translation of the word translated in English as adoption. It's where the father would actually put someone in the place. It's why in the sixth chapter of Hebrews, one of the five foundation stones is what? The laying on of hands. Because when others recognize what God has done, when others recognize that you have come to that second stage of birth in Christ, they put hands on you and they press you and confirm you into that place. Amen. It's like, it's like taking the clay and pulling it together and holding it, pushing it into place. That looks just right. It's like taking a stone that's set in place and pressing it into the mortar around it and saying, that's right. We're laying hands on this. We're, we're confirming this. We're establishing it. We're setting it. It's there to stay. How does Revelations describe this, this, this confirming? How does it describe it in terms of a pillar? He is a pillar in the house of my God that shall go out no more. You say, what? I never heard of a pillar that got up and walked out. That's not true. How many builders here know that there are some spindly pillars that are very temporary, that are essential for a season, but they go out? Amen. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, scaffolding is one thing, but the bracing, Amen. right? When you go onto a job site and they stand up those big walls, there are all kinds of spindly little two by fours pretending to be pillars. There are big long two by four stickers holding on to uh, bracing the wall up, tacked to stakes that are driven in the ground, and they're all temporary. You take them down, they're gonna fall apart. The building's gonna fall apart. Zane, you're a builder, are they essential? You take them down, it doesn't work. Tell me, Tim, they're essential, aren't they? But those are pillars that are gonna go out. When we were building your house, there was a time, Jansen, you're a builder. There was a time where some stupid little spindly two by fours were holding up that hole upstairs where that, that, that uh, smaller beam is now, that smaller pillar is now. You walk in there, you're like, ooh, that's scary. This revelation's illusion is saying there are people who are essential for a season, but they are pillars who go out. They are pillars who get pop, 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 pop and thrown on the scrap pile with nails poking outside them. Nails of bitterness, nails of resentment. Old has-been, washed-up, used-to-be people who are no longer useful to God. That's what happens when you learn how to be useful, but you don't give birth. 
You can bluff it for a season. You're good enough for a temporary hold, but you're not good enough to be a permanent part of what God is building. I don't want to be a bluffer. And I don't want to be a temporary brace. I want to be a pillar. Thank you, Jesus, in the house of my God who goes out no more. Thank you, Jesus. So this second phase is a time of pressure. You're going to start feeling it coming on you. Oh, something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Trust me, I felt it. Amen. I'm going to feel it again. Because I, I don't feel like I've fully come into my place either. But you feel it. Oh, God. Something's got to happen. What is this that I'm feeling? And if you misidentify what that pressure is all about, you're going to wobble all over the place. You're going to crack. You're going to become a pillar that's tossed outside when the permanent takes its place. And this pressure is supposed to give birth to your ministry. But what is that ministry? What is the, the number one ingredient for that ministry? How do we operate in our gift? What is the primary mechanism? What is the primary element that makes operation in a gift possible? What does he say in Romans 12? He speaks of it in terms of grace at first. And he says, and he who prophesies, let him prophesy in proportion to his huh? faith. faith. To come into a ministry, you, you've got to exercise and come into a different level of faith. And what is faith? It's believing God's way so much that you act on it even when it goes against your way and your opinions of how things should be done. And so then we say, okay, God, but what kind of faith? What kind of faith? And I, I find that there are two big ditches in the discussion of faith. Will you bear with me for this for a minute? One ditch is, is the name it and claim it ditch. And the other ditch is I believe God will do it ditch. What's the first ditch? Name it and claim it. What's the second ditch? God will do it. So the first ditch, name it and claim it, it's when God hasn't really spoken in a way that is actionable or you haven't understood it in a way that is actionable or maybe he hasn't spoken at all, but you really want something. So you just close your eyes. I'm going to name it and claim it. Hallelujah. Right? You've seen this in certain circles, faith movement, so to so-called faith movement. And you see people naming and claiming things that God didn't do or give. Does God answer every prayer we ever ask? What does John say if we ask according to His will? We know that He hears us. It's not about naming and claiming what I want God to do. There may be a barrier that God needs me to work through. There may be a problem that God needs me to pray through. There may be a principality that God coming from the other side may, needs to give the angel time to press through. Amen. There may be all kinds of elements, but name it and claim it is stupid <laughs> as such. So we can accept that that's not what we're going to talk about. That's not what we're aiming for. So what's the second ditch again? 
God will do it. What's the problem with that? What does that ditch sound like? Lacks responsibility. It's irresponsive. It lacks responsibility, Brother Ben said. That's exactly right. So what does that ditch look like when Peter stands in the boat as his ministry is developing? Would you agree? When he's learning to become an apostle and he stands in the boat and he's not sure, is it God? Something in me wants to get in here, wants to walk on this water. Is that God? Remember, they thought it was a ghost. So he holds out the possibility that what he thinks is God may not be God. That's humility. When you're certain, you're likely fooled. But when you're, okay, I feel like this is God, but what is, how, does he, how does he phrase it in this oft-quoted scripture? How does he phrase it? Lord, if it be you, command me to come to you on the water. All right, so what does the second ditch, how would the second ditch respond in Peter's scenario? I think it would be this. Lord, if that's you, transport me. Lord, if that's you, uh, I'm just going to sit here. And if that's you, I just believe you can levitate me across the water. And then if he ever does get out of the water and the second ditch takes over, It'd be like, well, Lord, you told me to come. Why did I fall? How many times have you heard people say or have you said yourself, I knew God was speaking to me in that meeting. I don't know why it always turns out like this. Do you all understand my whiny accent? <laughs> because you started good and you started to doubt. You began to doubt midway through. You don't know what it means to walk by faith. When, 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 when Peter got to Jesus, what did Jesus say? Well, kudos for you. You're the first guy who's not God who's ever walked on water. Is that what Jesus said? He rebuked him. He said, you started to doubt. Why did you doubt? Why did you start to doubt? <laughs> so we can speculate on why he started to doubt, but we do it all the time. In the rapture of God's command, we get out of the boat. In the certainty of his presence, we take first steps on waves. But then as the carnal mind starts to process the miracle that's already in process, we start to doubt. And as soon as we start to doubt, we start to sink. So this, this notion that if it's God's will, he'll do it. And I've hit this before, but this is a problem. <laughs> There's a balance, folks. We can't have one or the other. Whatever we do apart from him is a big nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That doesn't mean I just go off and do what I want and demand Christ to give me strength. I don't jump out on the water and command Christ to help me. I stay in the boat and ask Christ to command me. And then I'm going to have the strength. So there's this attitude. What brings, what brings saving faith? The Word of God. 
What gives birth to a ministry? The Word of God. What saves souls? You are begotten, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. What calls people into ministry? The Word of God. But we can make the Word of God dormant. It's like taking precious seed. All of us have felt a little more acutely how precious seed really is. Haven't we these last months? Boy, I have. Placed two orders for a certain seed and they each charged me $15 over here, $16 over there. They never sent the seed. But thank God we found a bag in our pantry of unutilized seed. Amen. And it was just the right amount for us to plant the full amount that we needed. Hallelujah. And sometimes we're trying to purchase outside, looking for answers. When God's already given us the seed, it's wrapped in a little burlap bag in your pantry. But it's unutilized seed. It's unplanted seed. It's dormant seed. And I want to give you the faith that during this time or in this transition when we come out of this time, that we would leave no seed dormant in our possession. Amen. That we would come to this different level of relationship with God where we're not bluffers anymore. Into whatever sphere you occupy, do you get something from God? Or do you think you can just skate by and bluff your way through it? We will not move the kingdom of God forward and we will frustrate ourselves. Because, you know, the only thing people are ever going to trust is the Spirit of God moving through you or me. That's it. They're never going to trust you because you're a, you're a jolly good fella. They're never going to trust you because how long you've been here. They're never going to trust you because of your proclamations of loyalty. and They're never going to trust you for that. They're going to trust you if they get God reliably from you. Because all we're really allowed to trust is God. There's a curse that hangs on he who trusts in man. He shall be like a shrub in the desert who never sees prosperity when it comes. Salt flat shrubs whining about what they missed out on. But blessed is he who trusts in Yahweh. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water whose fruit never fails. Even in the drought in summer, they never cease bearing fruit. So there's an attitude of faith that God is looking for. And I pray it is not as rare as sometimes I fear that it is. But you will not separate yourself from the crowd of the faithless, from the crowd of the static, from the crowd of the complacent, if you cannot come to this new level of faith that would release the anointing, the Spirit, who is the Lord, in your life and through your life.
it always humbles me that I will preach something to over a thousand people and my dad won't be there and here he is a man of the word like I've never met the one the tree from whom all the seeds of my ministry have fallen and yet I'll call him up when he's out of town or when I'm overseas and I'll share with him a five-minute summation and he'll be so moved by the simple word of his power that he'll weep and worship and praise God. And I sometimes think nobody responded like that at the meeting. Or few. Amen. Now I'm not saying that's, I'm not holding that up to say I'm looking for something. I'm not. What I'm looking for is for you not to be disappointed. And I'm trying to suggest that there may be seeds in your pantry that you forgot you have. There may be unsprouted power in your possession wrapped in a burlap bag. And there's, this, there's a response. There's more than one way to respond to the Word of God. When I ministered about the new wine skins, not in general, but I, I, I shared a very particular insight from the message of the new wineskins back in 2008. In Matthew 9, it says that the Pharisees came and complained and said to Jesus, why John's disciples and ours, they fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said, you do not take a new piece of cloth and cut it up and stitch it onto an old garment. You don't take new cloth and sew it onto old garments. And then he said, nor do you take new wine and put it into old wineskins, or else the skins will burst and the wineskin and the wine will be lost. This is all familiar to us. But what struck me and what I ministered that first time in 2008 was that it says, and while he yet spoke. There was a ruler of the synagogue who came forward. So there was a guy in the congregation whose attitude toward the word was modified as the word came forward. Do you follow this? He said, hmm. My old wineskin would tell me that I should wait and talk with Simon afterwards and see if I can get an appointment with him. But this new kind of immediacy of faith suggests that I should start moving toward the front right now while he's speaking. While he was speaking. So he was there. He was present in the crowd. Something rolled over. What changed in Jarius' mind that made him say, I need to get to the front now? It was this new wineskin of how to respond to faith. Not to say, name it and claim it. My daughter's well when she's not. And not to say, well, God, if you're God, you'll do it. And I'll just sit here in the crowd. But to say, God, this is my time. This is my turning point. And to get up and start pressing and get up there to Jesus and say, Lord, here's a new wineskin. Could you please put some new wine in it? This isn't the old skin of how I used to respond. 
This isn't the old skin of how I was planning to respond, but here it is, Lord. Fill it up. Amen. Jesus ends his message, turns on a dime, and starts heading toward this man's house. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and there was a woman who had an issue of blood. The old wineskin said, get an appointment with one of Jesus' sisters or her mom, his mom and try to have a conversation in private because this is a private matter. That's an old wineskin. But the new wineskin said, okay, God, I'm getting down on my hands and knees. The old wineskin said, don't. Don't even try. Look how close that crowd is. Jesus was conscious of being crushed to death. So earnest, so eager was the crowd that pressed around him. It says he asked the disciples to have a boat standing by so that he would not be crushed. That's how intent these people were. But he was still telling them, you can have a different wineskin. And two people got it. So he's going toward Jairus' house and the old wineskin speaks in the woman's head and says, don't try. This is stupid. This is embarrassing. This won't even work. And the new wineskin said, get on your hands and knees and press through the crowd and grab just the hem. She said she kept saying to herself, sometimes you got to speak to yourself. Listen, you little coward, you, if you'll just get down on your knees and pray. Listen, you little coward, you, I know that if you pray like you've never prayed, you will be healed. Amen. She said, I was saying to myself, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Hallelujah. And that's, that's what I want. I want something to rise up in us that doesn't look outside doesn't look for new seed, doesn't waste money on what, that which does not profit, but starts saying to ourself, God, I know what I've got to do. I feel this pressure, and I'm not going to go flying off the handle here and there and here and there and, and randomly pinning the tail on the donkey. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch the will of God by the toe. Did it work? Oh, it didn't. Let's try again. And my spouse is freaking out and my brothers are freaking out. And my finances are freaking out. But I'm just trying to do God's will. No, you're not. You're trying to bluff. <laughs> Amen. God's will is available to you. Amen. God's will, the certainty of God's will is available to every one of us. Isn't that what Paul tells us? Amen. Offer yourself as a complete sacrifice. Make a, a complete sacrifice before God. Amen. Amen. Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then you will know <laughs> what that good and acceptable and pleasing will of God is. Amen. Amen. It's available to us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There were other times. Peter was speaking to Cornelius. It says, while he was yet speaking. See, the old wineskin says, this is God. And I really heard the word. This is so exciting. I'm encouraged. I'm going to go home and hope that he works the change. But that's still the second ditch. But the new wineskin says, he's here. He's speaking to me. My heart's burning within me. This is my time. I can make a change right now. Amen. A metamorphosis is in progress if I won't start to think in my head 
in such a way as to sink in my feet, amen, through these waves, amen. amen. It's in process. I feel the command. I feel the unction. I'm going to move. Amen. I'm not going to second guess. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember sharing in, in, in Israel, and I, I shared it recently in um, last year, October, in a meeting. What sense would it make, Brother Grady? You're a farmer. What sense would it make, all of you are gardeners, what sense would it make to go out and look at your garden and see that there are tons of weeds in the onion and say, oh, it just feels such a burden. God, just remove these weeds from my garden. I just trust you. I know you're able. Just remove these weeds, oh, Heavenly Father. Would that make a lot of sense to you? Huh? What would you think about somebody who said that? They didn't want to get out and go work in their garden. Aha! <laughs> You'd think it was laziness masquerading as faith. And you know what God thinks about our second ditch approach? He thinks it's laziness masquerading as faith. What would you think about somebody who, who, um, who saw that their spouse had some serious needs? And they knew that the Bible says that it was the responsibility of the husband to wash, and that is to clean, the wife with the water of the Word. What would you think about such a man if he, if he saw the needs of his wife and said, Oh, Lord, just speak to my wife. We want God to speak to our wives. That's fine. Oh, Lord, just husband my wife. Just love my wife. My wife feels lonely today. God, just, just speak to her, your comfort. Hmm? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, just write my wife a card. Tell her you love her, God. Send her some flowers. Ask her how she's doing, Heavenly Father. What would you think about that? It's baloney. That's what we think of it. You'd say, you big idiot. What, who are you kidding? Yourself? Because you're not kidding God or any of the rest of us. Pretty stupid, isn't it? But that's how we all, that's what our flesh wants to make all of us, is a, is a stupid buffoon, a pretender, a bluffer. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. There's a kind of faith that puts all the onus on God, and that's the kind of faith that makes you weak. That's the kind of faith where you grow weak in your faith. And then there's a kind of faith whereby you are empowered. He grew strong. 
he was empowered by faith. I can do this, God. I can make a change. And whether we're talking about ministering to a family member under our care, or whether we're talking about giving birth to a music ministry, or a teaching, or a preaching, or any other kind of ministry, or whether we're talking about becoming a deacon who's supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God, wherever we are, that's what's going to have to happen. When God starts speaking promises, flesh is going to start waving, running the slides, the carousel of all the impossibilities. Can't happen because of this. Can't happen because of that. Can't happen because of this. Can't happen because of that. And if you know the difference between the spirit and the flesh, you're not going to sit there and act like God is given a second opinion on what He's already spoken. Amen? You're not going to grow weak when you consider the impossibilities. When He considered His body as good as dead. <laughs> what were the odds? <laughs> I ask you, what were the odds? What were the odds? What were his chances? Zero. <laughs> None. But when he considered it, it did not tamper with his faith. All of his journey had been based on this false sort of faith of, of he can do it in his own flesh. But when he got that revelation, the Lord said, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. He said, oh, it's not me, God. It's not me trying to produce this and trying to produce that, trying to fix this and trying to substitute with that. You are going to return. So I am going to grow strong in faith and start aligning everything according to what I know you have spoken to me. He was empowered through faith. Thank you, Jesus. I remember somebody asking years ago, somebody asked Brother Randy and I, I said, my son is a hopeless case. I've never taught my children like you guys do. They were just coming to God. What do I, what's the key? And we said, believe that it can change. Believe that it must change and commit to change it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't bluff it. Don't say name it, claim it. He's going to be a demon the next morning, trust me. <laughs> Don't even kid yourself. That's, not, that, that's just playing games with your mind. Hey Amen. But, but grow strong in faith because the Lord's going to return and He's going to give us that direction. Are you feeling a pressure at this season? You feeling something trying to give birth? Amen. Let's, let's go ahead and do it. Let's come into that place of sonship. I, I have heard some, of, some testimonies individually from some of you. I know that changes are coming. I, I can hear it. Somebody would say, this has been the hardest season of my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> I hear changes coming through that. I, I hear the challenges. I hear the battles being waged. I'm going to get resentful. I'm going to break and run. I'm going to lash out and criticize the, the boss or the brother. Oh no, I'm not. I am going to steady on. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to grow weak in faith. I know he's able to keep that which I've committed. And I see, I see sons being born. I see a new level, that second level starting to emerge.